I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 14th, 1969. We are at the 41st Annual Academy Awards at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. Um, This is an Academy Awards that does not have a host, something that we have become quite accustomed to in the modern day. So uh, just a little point of interest there before we get to the moment that everyone's been waiting for, the announcement of the Best Picture of 1968, the envelope, please. And the winner is... Oliver! You didn't say that. I I didn't feel you said that with the exclamation point. I feel like you have to... (laughs) You're right. Oliver! (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) I think it's more like, Oliver! Um... (laughs) You know, like <laughs> that's it. That's like it. he's being called in for dinner. Lisa, I want some more. More? You know, um, <laughs> even though that's not he, he doesn't have a mother in this movie. Um, well, I mean, no, he has he, no one. He has. I mean, we kind of. I mean, he, his mother's not alive. We um, maybe find out who she is. <laughs> maybe. 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 <laughs> I say like okay. Here's the deal, people. I feel like Oliver Twist is a very well-known story, um, and this is a version that does take some liberties with the source material, but that said, you've had centuries. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and it follows along pretty well. We're going to spoil this. We're going to spoil this a lot. Yes, we are. Um, so just, I, I can't discuss this movie without discussing copious spoilers. So if for some reason <laughs> you don't know what this movie is about or who dies, then you need to, yeah, someone dies. Um, don't <laughs> let happy songs fool ya. Very um, true. Yeah, very true. Um, then go watch it now and then come back and talk to us. Okay, cool. Or if you don't care, we're just going to spoil it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, here, here we, we are, are. 1968, and as you said, we are now at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, where the Academy Awards will be held for a number of years uh, mm-hmm. in DTLA. Very exciting. I love the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. It's so beautiful, and it's where oh, Meryl gosh, Streep won both place. of her Oscars, so I'm a big fan. I love this well, move. Are you... <laughs> Does she only win two in your version? <laughs> well, this is where she wins her first two. You're right. Yes, I should say. The first two. The, well, the only ones that really matter, let's be honest. The superior films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're just like, I'm just going to pretend Iron Lady didn't happen. Many men have underestimated me before. This lot seem bound to do the same. But they will rue the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we'll just, that's in the future. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> we'll get there, Meryl. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, once again, more of like the establishment of, of the, this is kind of like a golden age of the Oscar ceremonies that we're, we're coming upon, you know, when um, the entire event of the Oscars has been well established uh, throughout the 50s and 60s. And now um, 
now we're we're getting into you know you watch a lot of those older ceremonies and people have short speeches and um and there there's a lot of fun and there is some pomp and circumstance but but i think that this is excuse me really the period where we get into what we think of the oscars being now like the full glamour has come to being and i think the dorothy chandler pavilion which is a you know very beautiful um uh theater that's um in downtown los angeles part of the music center uh area uh development i guess that compound you know what i'm saying yes <laughs> um uh a compound of of places that you can go watch live performances um in downtown los angeles um it is uh it, there's a there's a regalness to it and you walk in there's these giant chandeliers there's um it just feels like glitz the glitz of mm-hmm. hollywood and yes. um so i i feel like we've we've come really full circle here mm-hmm. i would say so now, there's yeah. another thing that happens during this ceremony that I feel like we should just talk about immediately, and we'll spotlight this immediately. It is the Best Actress category. We have yeah, a everybody tie. wants to hear about this. Yes. Exactly. This is kind of the meat and potatoes here of uh, this year, I think. There was a tie for Best Actress. Both Katherine Hepburn wins for Line in Winter, and Barbara Streisand wins for Funny Girls. This is our first tie uh, since it happened the last time for Best Actress, mm-hmm. uh, back in what, 1936? No. Wait, what am I saying? Not for you, Best Actress. I, 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 I was about to correct you and say Best yeah, Actor. So wrong. But, best Actor. But with the as we discussed that year, that Best Actor race was not a technical tie. Um, right. There was uh, 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 Frederick March um, won would have won outright for Dr. Jekyll mm-hmm. and Mr. Hyde had um, had they not had a rule at the time that allowed it to be a tie within, like, a couple of votes or something. And right. now uh, this is an actual tie, the exact number of votes, statistically almost impossible because of how many Academy uh. of members there are at this point. And, um, and the interesting thing is, going into the ceremony, the only person... Um, there, there were only two of these three. Excuse, I'm going to restart this whole sentence. Of the five nominees, three of them were previous act, uh, acting winners. Okay, mm. yep. um, and by the time everything shakes down, everybody in this category will be an Oscar winner. Um, True that. Yeah, these are some heavy uh, players. You're right. And both of the women who win Best Actress this year. Uh, would go on to win additional Oscars, although one of them did not win for acting. Um, mm-hmm. She won for original song. Uh, but uh, this is... Uh, th- I mentioned last year that Katherine Hepburn maybe didn't deserve Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but she never really screwed anyone over that year, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that this is another example of Katherine Hepburn winning an Oscar, but she doesn't really screw anyone over in the process. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> no that's very true um, it's very true yeah uh but this is uh, if you haven't watched the moment of the tie i mean Catherine hepburn of course is not there because she's never there but um ingrid bergman walks out on stage and might i say there is a giant 
backdrop that has the five uh, actress nominees projected on the back of it that looks, you know, very similar to something they would do today. It's very impressive uh, little visual. Um, and then she opens the envelope and she says, the, and the winner is, and then there's this, and she like stops short of saying the winner is, and there's this look of puzzlement that kind of comes over her face. And then she kind of just says, it's a tie. The winner, it's a tie. And then like looks up as the realization of what she said it comes to her and she smiles at the audience. And then there's this gasp as everyone realized she's telling the truth. <laughs> um, and then she says the winners are and says Catherine Hepburn, Lion in Winter. And and um, actually she says Lion in the Winter. I, I'm, I'm sorry that you got that wrong, Ingrid Bergman. Um, and, and then, uh, Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl, of course, Catherine Hepburn's not there, so the only person who gives, like, a real speech is, is Barbara, who gets to, you know, take the whole moment and basically a see-through suit thing that she's wearing. It's an iconic Oscar outfit, if you guys haven't seen it. <laughs> it's something. Um, it's definitely something. It's basically see-through. Yes, yes. Um, it's, like, black, um mesh something um but anyway um it's one of those just amazing moments watching ingrid bergman announce that is one of my my all-time favorite um oscar moments for sure yeah it's definitely like a deer in the headlight moment where she has no idea really what is going on how to proceed um yeah it's definitely iconic but what do you think rance i really want to know do you think this deserves a tie do you think both should have won do you think one should have triumphed over the other what are your thoughts there couldn't be two more different movies um but the performances are both just so pivotal to the films that they're in uh barbara streisand is a force of nature in funny girl um and it's tough to deny that this isn't a an academy award-winning performance because she um she is, I mean, she is the funny girl of the title. She's playing real-life um, person Fanny Bryce in a um, fairly fictionalized version of her life story. Um, and she sings, and she sings so well. Um, her performance of Don't Rain My Parade and My Man at the end of the film are just, uh, you know, works of art. It's very much an old-school Hollywood um, musical production. It's directed by the great William Wyler and I believe, his only... At least his only major musical effort. Maybe there was something early on in his career, but I'm pretty sure this is his only musical, and um, and it has the you know gorgeous Omar Sharif, um, and it, it's a it's very sumptuous. It's very um, uh, very expensive. And then interestingly, yeah, and she's the new actress. That's that's I'm I'm talking about how she's in this kind of old school Hollywood thing, and she's the new kid on the scene. This is her first film. I mean, I don't think there's a better first movie performance than Barbara Streisand and Funny Girl. Then you have The Lion in Winter, which is, it takes place um, in, you know, the time of Henry VIII, but it is, um, uh, it is um, very, uh, uh, how do I put this? Um, wait, is Henry VIII right? I Now I'm second guessing myself. Um, 
I think you're right. Or is he Henry the or is he Henry the sixth? Henry the I I I'm confused because I um yes I'm confused because I watched um uh another movie I watched A Man for All Seasons recently. And oh, it's Henry the Second. Henry the Second. It's Henry the Second. So it's much earlier than Henry the Eighth. As soon as I right. said, I was like, "Wait!" But we've watched. I watched. Um, we watched. I should say, um, "A Man for All Seasons," which is also about this time period. Um, and by this right. time period, I mean several hundred years later. But in our <laughs> heads, they kind of everything kind of blends together. Um, yes. When it comes to this period in history or old um, British history, um, but. <laughs> very different <laughs> uh this is about henry the second um and uh uh catherine hepburn is in this movie that takes place then but the interesting thing to me about this movie is that it is such it is so much more a late 60s production in the way that it is shot in the way that it is envisioned in um the fact that the the filmmaking is you know this this largely stuff on location and uh you know using a lot of natural lighting and you know like all the all the things that we are associating with the with the post studio era but Catherine Hepburn this you know the definition of a great studio actress is at the center of it and that's what i find so fascinating about her performance is she adapts to these more modern actors like Peter O'Toole and Anthony Hopkins and a beautiful Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. Just mentioning Timothy Dalton's in it because he's gorgeous. Um, and uh, and she, she shows that, uh, that her talent was not limited to a certain type of filmmaking, that she was adaptable. Um, and I think the challenge ends up resulting in her giving the best performance of her career and so while i don't know maybe barbara streisand and funny girl is the is the bigger challenge it's the bigger star making turn it's probably the objective winner but i also can't say that you know i don't want katherine hepburn to have an oscar for actually one of her great performances since you know she already has two oscars at this point for not her greatest performances (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. So, so I, I am very happy with the tie, and I, I don't know how I would choose between them. I, I, ah, mm, uh, my gut says, my gut says Barbara's probably the winner here, um, uh-huh. but then I go back and I think, well, I mean, you know. If if I took this one away from Barbara, you know, she does give some pretty great performances throughout the 70s as well. And, you know, uh, she's great in The Way We Were. You know, she's um, she she's great in Yentl. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, um, I see. I like the point that you made, though, how this is really um, the young ingenue versus the... Um, more established Hollywood acting royalty, Catherine Hepburn versus um, Barbara Streisand. And what's so interesting about that is we've been talking these last couple of episodes about how the late 60s is really the bridging of old Hollywood versus the new Hollywood coming up. And this best actress race is really the culmination of that and how Academy voters are 
still really split down the middle on you know what they kind of prefer that sort of older style more established style or this new crop of filmmakers and young actors and actresses rising the ranks and I guess they couldn't even decide and here we have a tie and it really does bring the best of both of those components and I agree with you I think this is Katherine Hepburn's greatest film performance so I do I do not want to take this away from her, but again, you know, I do want Barbara Streisand to have an acting Oscar as well. And as you said, this is one of the best introductions to a new young ingenue that we get. And, you know, we see time and time again, um, the Academy loves to award young ingenues in the best actress race. So I can see why that happened as well. Um, yeah, I agree with you. You know what? I agree. I think this, if, if we're going to have a tie <laughs> in any year, in any of the categories, this one does make sense. And it feels right. It feels right to give them both an Oscar for, um, yeah, I, I mean, Funny Girl is probably my favorite Barbra Streisand movie too, honestly. So it makes sense that, yeah, they both win Oscars for probably their greatest screen performances. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I think my favorite Barbara Streisand movie is What's Up, Doc. But anyway, um, if fair, if you if you haven't seen What's Up, Doc, it is hilarious. So yeah, mine's probably a tie between Funny Girl and Meet the Fockers. So you know, you know the the great uh, <laughs> the great Oscar winning <laughs> classic. Um, I mean, we may have some. We'll have some more opportunities. I mean, this is her first film. There will be other mm-hmm. opportunities to talk about Barbara. Of course, she does win an Oscar in uh, the next decade for her songwriting prowess. Yep. Um, and um, she is nominated for Best Actress again in a few years. Unfortunately, it's the only other time she's nominated. Um, and then she also gets nominated as a producer later on. Um, when there's a huge controversy because she has a movie that ends up getting an Oscar nomination without her being nominated for Best Director. Um, and then there's another controversy a different year where she wins an Oscar for Best Director at the Golden Globes, but doesn't get, her movie doesn't even get nominated for picture at the Oscars. So, lots of Barbara Streisand to discuss in the years ahead, which couldn't make me happier because I do love me some Barbara. Um, so are we Definitely. saying, this is the most important thing that came out of this conversation. Are we yes. saying, Sam... That this is a musical you like. (laughs) (laughs) We are saying this is a musical that I like, mainly because I could listen to Barbra Streisand sing for hours and hours and hours, and it never gets old. One of the great regrets of my recent history is not going to see her when she was at the Hollywood Bowl a couple years ago. I Mm. mean, why did I I miss that opportunity? (laughs) Why, why, why? Um... You know, just like I didn't go see uh, Liza Minnelli a few years ago at the Hollywood Bowl, and that's never going to happen again, you know? Never (laughs) again. That is a real shame. That's a real shame. (laughs) I know, I know. But Barbara's voice has held up very, very well over the years. She's taken good care of her her instrument, and her voice might be deeper now, but it still uh, can hold a note like nobody's business, so. Yeah, it's still Um, magic. She is magic. We love you, Barbara. We're so glad that you have an Oscar for Funny Girl. And Catherine, way to step up your game and give such a great performance in a career already full of many great performances. And we're so proud you finally won an Oscar 
that you where you're the best actress of that year. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very true. All right. I'm oh. going to switch things over and do another spotlight real quick. I do want to touch on another movie. Mm-hmm. So I want to touch on Rosemary's Baby and the performance of Ruth Gordon, which wins the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress of this year. All right, Real quick, on, my me, only notable let snub let me, let me comes sit, from this me, movie. Let me sit back and grab my coffee and, and be ready for this conversation because I'm here for it. Okay, go ahead. So my only real snub comes from this movie, too. I think Mia Farrow deserved a Best Actress nomination for Rosemary's Baby. What she does in this film is absolutely insane, what they ask her to do. It's kind of like uh, in The Shining, Shelley Duvall just has to be terrified and basically close to tears the entire film. Very similar performance here um, by Mia Farrow. If you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby, it tells the story of two newlyweds. Their names are Guy and Rosemary, and they move into a new apartment to start their lives. The husband, uh, played by John Cassavetes, he's an actor, and he ends up selling his soul to the devil uh, so he can actually achieve fame and glory. But in so doing, he does allow the devil to rape his wife, Rosemary and thus impregnates her with the devil's son. So that's kind of the setup to this movie. It is a horror film, and I love touching on horror movies that actually break into the Academy Awards and not only get nominated, but actually win Oscars. I think that's so cool. Horror is one of my favorite film genres, so I love whenever they break through. Uh, But this movie, this movie, absolutely petrified me as a child. For some reason, I watched it when I was way too young. Like, uh, we're talking, I was probably pre-teen, when I watched this movie, um, and there's an absolutely horrific shot in the final scene of this movie that just keeps you awake at night. I don't want to give too much away because the ending is really shocking and it's really, really good. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? Uh, and I want you guys to experience it in real time when you watch it. Uh, but just know this movie, the ending, it just makes you feel Icky. It does not leave you in a state of happiness whatsoever. Uh, and it's really hard to get out of the mindset of this film. Um, and yeah, I think that makes for a very effective horror film. But Ruth Gordon, she's really the, the shining light here in this film. Uh, she plays the nosy neighbor to Guy and Rosemary, uh, who ends up, I don't know, hiding even darker secrets. She's got a whole thing going on, too, that you discover there at the end. Uh, but when she won her Oscar, she said in her acceptance speech, she said, I can't tell you how encouraging a thing like this is. And I love that because she was 72 years old. She had never won an Oscar at this point. But I mean, Rance, you and I have talked about Ruth Gordon several times already. I mean, she dates back to, I mean, her first movie, I think, was in the 19-teens. But we've talked about her specifically in, like, the 40s and 50s. She was a very important screenwriter with her husband, Garson Kanan, nominated for a couple of Oscars for writing scripts, some actually starring Katherine Hepburn. Adam's Um, Rib, yeah. Adam's Rib. And it wasn't until the 70s when she started to get, or excuse me, the 60s, when she started to get acknowledged for her acting um, as well. She was nominated for Inside Daisy Clover, I believe just the year before. And then she gets nominated for Harold and Maude uh, for Golden Globe uh, a few years after this. So she really kind of had a resurgence in her later years, particularly with acting. So I love that this is, you know, uh, a person who's been in this industry 
almost since the inception of movies. And here she is, decades after her first film, finally winning an Oscar. And I just think it's so deserved. It's such a frighteningly good performance. Um, yeah, she's so important in this part. What's really amazing is what she does in this movie. She acts like she's the least important character in the film. And it's kind of a bait and switch. And she pulls it off really well. Yeah, no, I absolutely love Ruth Gordon uh, in this film. I love her in Harold and Maude as well. Um, she is, uh, and her writing of those, you know, classic Spencer Tracy, um, Catherine Hepburn comedies is, is just divine. Um, I love the fact that she becomes basically a star in her seventies, you know, um, because, uh, nobody really knew who Ruth Gordon was. She hadn't, she had acted, but she, you know, only supporting parts, um, and didn't act at all in the 1950s as far as um, movies went. She did, you know, some occasional television performances here and there. So she really kind of just, like, came out of nowhere, first with Inside Daisy Clover, um, and then, you know, just really shoots off the map with with Rosemary's Baby um, and ends up getting starring roles uh, in some movies after that, including most significantly in Harold and Maude. And she, um, she's such a delight. Um, and she's not necessarily playing someone who is truly delightful. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but she gives such interesting layered work in this movie. And I, I too love Rosemary's Baby. I didn't see it so young that it freaked me out, but... Um, oh, God, it traumatized me, Rand. traumatized <laughs> me. <laughs> I was a little bit older when I saw it, but um, uh, it, um, uh, it's, it's such an... It can be viewed in so many ways. That's why I, I like uh, Rosemary's Baby, because you could look at it as this, you know, terrifying horror movie, satanic horror film, or you could watch it kind of as a black comedy, you know? It is um, a very, uh, it's a very, it's very funny in parts. It's It could be seen as very, very humorous. Um, and that's, uh, the movie is operating on several different layers. And I would tell you that the one thing that might change my opinions i think i think i would still go with the same winners but i do think mia farrow deserves an oscar nomination for this it's really shocking that mia farrow never got an oscar nomination to me now that we're talking about her definitely it's it's interesting because if anybody has not yet i i i'm by the time this uh episode goes up i think all four episodes will be out the first one just started this week there is a an excellent documentary series uh, going on HBO called uh, uh, Alan versus Pharaoh, um, which is all about the scandal in the early nineties um, uh, with Mia Farrow and uh, her daughter and uh, Woody Allen. And I should say daughters cause two figure into the um, story. Um, and it is uh, heartbreaking and chilling and, and, and wonderful so far. Um, and I have, I really, there's a quality about Mia Farrow. 
I mean, it makes you understand why I guess Woody Allen was so drawn to her and would and would use her over and over again until you know the scandal happened because um, uh, she has this uh, relatability in her kind of waif-like child eyes, you know, um, that's perfect oh, yeah, for this movie. That's perfect for this movie, and you know, then later on she's going to be in. Um, she does make a couple of Woody Allen movies that she somehow doesn't get nominated for, like Hannah and Her Sisters or The Purple Rose of Cairo. Um, Purple Rose of Cairo in particular is just a, a great performance from her. Um, and I, I, I do want to rewrite history and get Mia Farrow some recognition because she does do some some really good work throughout her career. Um and this is uh, clearly her definitive performance. Um, this skyrockets her to superstardom. She had already been a fairly, a fairly prominent name because she had been on a hit TV show uh, called Peyton Place. And then she very famously married Frank Sinatra, who was much older than her, and uh, chopped off all of her hair and created a fashion trend with a short, short haircut. Um, which that also is used in this movie, although not at first. She, uh, uh, hair cutting is also part of the, part of the plot in this movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I really, really like her as an actress and I really like her performance in this movie. And I would agree with you that I think that this film not getting more nominations is, uh, un- believable stump i'm glad you agree very very glad all right let's move on to the main event let's get into our best picture winner which was oliver exclamation point consider yourself at home consider yourself one of the family i've taken to you so strong it's clear we're going to get along Another movie musical to come out this year. I'll give a brief summary. Well, actually, no. There is no summary for this. It's Oliver Twist. Again, like we said at the top of this episode, if you don't know Oliver Twist, (laughs) I don't know how to help you. I just don't know how to help you. That's what this movie is. Or if you've seen Oliver and Company, the Disney movie, it's the same thing. Why should I worry? Why should I care? (laughs) It's all the same thing. Well, it's it's a little bit darker than, than Oliver it is a little bit darker okay was this the first time you had seen it this was your first time watching it watching it all the way through i had seen um i i remember i think we like a teacher put it on um like a substitute teacher put it on in a class when i was in like elementary or junior high uh-huh. um but uh and i had seen select scene like i i had seen the who will buy scene before um, yeah. and a few other of the significant, you know, celebrated moments in the film. But I had not, I had not watched it from start to finish. Okay. Were you surprised by how actually dark <laughs> this movie does get? Like this movie gets pretty dark and dreary and sad. I will say I had seen a low, it was, it wasn't a, um, I had seen a performance of the musical this is based on. Um, at okay, it was so like a local. It, it was a it was a theater. It was a local theater troupe uh, near my hometown. Okay. So it wasn't like a 
expensive, you know, professional Broadway. Movie. But yes, yeah. Um, I had so I knew the story. I knew that it was dark. I knew, I knew that. Spoiler alert! I knew Nancy dies. I knew, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew all that stuff going in. Um, so no, none of that really shocked me. Okay, fair enough. Um, what did you think? I want to know like what your your thoughts are after watching this movie. Give me your little review for the film. It's not the best picture of 1968. That's mm-hmm. my first. That's my first. That's my top line thought. I think that there are a few sequences, including the "Who Will Buy" number that I mentioned a second ago, um, that are impressive. I think that the staging and um, the execution, uh, the production values, the production design, I think all of those have a lot of merit. I don't tend to care about movies that have child protagonists, um, particularly when they're kind of cutesy. And I know that this seems like it's gritty, but I mean, these are, you know, like the whole, like so much of the shtick is kids doing adult things, you know, and, and, oh, look at these pickpocket kids, aren't they adorable? And, you know, Oliver himself is uh, kind of like a blank slate, honestly. Um, I don't know if you thought that when watching it, but... Oliver is just kind of like it's almost like he's it's almost like he's not even a full-fledged character he's just like awake (laughs) uh, it's kind of like he's sleeping the whole time yeah no he's very boring there's nothing particularly interesting about Oliver and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's even I'm not necessarily even putting this on performance I just think that on the page there there isn't in the script, you know, not, I'm not talking about Charles Dickens. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's, I, I think that he is surrounded by so many colorful characters that, you know, you just have this boy who just kind of gets thrown around throughout the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't care that much about him. And I know that may I sound awful, but I don't. And <laughs> the no, person I think valid. is the most, the thing I, the thing, person i think is most interesting in the film is nancy um and then i honestly think the way they i i mean like the way she gets killed off is tragic but the way that it plays in the movie is almost like an afterthought and Mm -hmm. you know she like dies off screen on screen but off screen you know in this kind of like (laughs) over the top um cartoonish way that I think undercuts what's supposed to be happening there. You know, like, I I feel like there needs to be a level of tragedy to her character that is coming through in the, in the actress's performance. I think she does a Mm -hmm. great job, but I think that the direction and the staging of her death really betray how, how we should view that character. And then immediately we don't get a time to even mourn what happened or ever think about it again because we go right into these over the top theatrics of you know you know like a a bridge collapsing and and um (laughs) and him Mm -hmm. holding the boy hostage and then we just flash to yeah 
Yeah, and then we just flash to this, like, kind of happy ending. Um, and it, to me, it just all feels like um, I kind of a lot of... It's like a lot of things that are meant to have a tremendous amount of meaning. And I, I think that there's an unevenness to the... I think that Ron Moody... Um, does a very good job as Fagan. He he's clearly committed to the role, but I feel like he's playing it on the stage and not on the screen. Sure. Um, I think that uh, his makeup is such that it looks like theatrical. I think there's like a lot of different people in the movie who have this theatrical look about them that betrays the grittiness of the surroundings. Um. I don't know. I I I think it's very competent, and if it hadn't won Best Picture, I would say, like, oh, it's a good movie. But I'm holding it to a different standard because it won Best Picture, and it is not a Best Picture winner. That's my opinion. Maybe if I'd watched hey. it younger and loved it, I would feel differently, but there you go. Hey, I love that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely see your point with... Uh, the death of Nancy. And what's crazy is I read um, some production notes about that scene in particular, and I guess they either had filmed her death scene differently or were going to film her death scene differently where you actually see it and it's actually more concrete what happens, the pacing is a little bit better. But for some reason or another, they weren't able to, I guess, finish it. So that's probably why it does feel a little unfinished and quick. I totally agree it's kind of like you watch that and you go wait is she dead is she alive i'm not sure uh it's such a, a bit male confusing. it's such a masculine perspective <laughs> that's the way that i viewed it i was like oh so we don't care about the female character <laughs> also i would have nominated her for best supporting actress sorry that's it that's all oh that is actually a good snub i can see that too she does a lot yeah um yeah, I think this is actually a really good movie. I watched this movie years ago, so when you say maybe if you had seen it younger, you would have a different relationship to the film, that's probably where I'm coming from here. I saw it um, years ago. It was actually one of the first like Best Picture winner films that I sought out when I was watching a whole bunch of them in my youth. Um, and I really like this one. I actually really enjoy the musical numbers. It has one of my favorites. Um... I guess, musical performances on film, which is the reprise of reviewing the situation. I think that ending moment between the Artful Dodger and Fagin is so perfect. I'm a situation. Once the villain, you're a villain to the end. It, it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. Uh, and I really like Ron Moody in this movie. I mean, I love anybody who reprises their stage performance, and you can see why. I think he completely owns the role of Fagin, and he fills the screen with such a, like, a buoyant energy. It just fills you with, um, I don't know, emotion, like, love for him. Like, you love him. You want him to be okay, even though he's a thief, a pickpocket. And I would also say, too, that the production design, all the set decoration, I think, is stunning across the board. So I can see why it's nominated. It is not my favorite movie of the year either. But I do think for, like, a G-rated movie musical based on Oliver Twist, it's pretty well done. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I mean, fine. You know, what movie? What movie would you choose as best picture? Since it's not Oliver. Well, I mean, I think the best picture of the year wasn't nominated. I think it's probably 2001: A Space Odyssey, which did get nominated for best director, but was. Oh, here we go. Mysterious. We're going to talk snubs. It is very bizarre that 2001: A Space Odyssey did not make it into the best picture lineup. I think that is quite ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it, it it blows my mind, honestly. Um, so I don't I don't know what's going on there. I don't know how MGM failed. <laughs> Stanley Cooper. I mean, and I think it's quite a fail. But here's here's the deal: if if you're gonna take a movie away from those five nominees, personally, I would take away Romeo and Juliet. Yes, I think there's it's beautiful. It is a beautiful movie. It's also an iconic but, adaptation of the late '60s. It is it it is something to that time, but 2001 definitely. is a much bigger thing to that time. Oh, absolutely! And to me, I don't know, I don't know. I I just can't help but you know watch even this version of Romeo and Juliet and still think to myself, it's better on the stage. It just is. And, and I don't know how. I here's the thing, Sam. Yeah. I, I know you love Oliver, but can you objectively tell me <laughs> that you would have Carol Reed win Best Director over Stanley Kubrick? I mean, I, I mean, to be very honest with you, I wouldn't give it to either of them. For me personally, the Best Picture Best Director of this year is Line in Winter and Anthony Harvey's direction of the film. That is my okay. big winner of the year. Be sure to squint as you approach. You may be blinded by my beauty. This is where you and I are going to start to come into alignment. Because while if if 2001 was in the category, I would feel by default it would need to be the winner. My favorite film of the year and my uh, the winner for me of these five nominees is The Lion in Winter. I love The Lion in Winter. Um... I only saw it for the first time a couple of months ago. Oof. Um, oof. I know. Uh, and I watched it at Christmas, actually, because it is a Christmas movie, in case it anyone is, didn't yeah. know. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> if, you're, if you want to watch a, a really weird family for Christmas, this is this is the way. To, there's even a Christmas tree. Like, it is. It's mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Um, the You want to talk about just, like, a, a movie to revel in acting, you know? Uh, um, yes. And the script is great. The direction is great. The 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 photography is great. The music is great. It's all great. But mm-hmm. the scenes between Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn are the height of cinematic enjoyment of performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. There are not two better scene partners in all of filmdom than these two. How dare of you to let me out of jail. It's only for the holidays. And it's kind of unlikely because they're of different generations technically. But um, but they play off of each other so expertly um, and so well. And it's just this battle of wills, the whole film. And when she says... You know, I could p- 
peel you like a pear and God himself would call it justice. It's like, uh. For these ten years you've lived with everything I've lost and loved another woman through it all. And I am cruel. I could peel you like a pear and God himself would call it justice. <gasps> Just like it's throw so myself at her good. feet. <laughs> Like, it's so down. good. Like, <laughs> worship at the altar of Catherine Hepburn. Peter O'Toole matching her for, um, uh, you know, moment for moment. And then, you know, mm-hmm. this great, great supporting cast members like, um, like, uh, uh, <laughs> why can't I think of names? Like, um, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, and Timothy his, Dalton. And their fir- both of their first really big... Uh, film roles i believe um mm-hmm. and and there's so many little twists and turns of this you know family drama it's all loosely based on real history too which makes it even more fun because then you can yeah. go and do the research and um man i really it's I really, so good really and it really like like this movie. watching this now yeah watching and talking about it so closely now to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, there's a lot of comparisons with those two movies. You know, I kind of feel like Lion in Winter is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf if it just took place during the reign of King Henry II. You know, that kind of uh, sparring husband and wife, holding all these grudges, and it all comes out to blows. You know, it's very similar the way they just snap and bicker with each other. Um, both have, you know, some of the best dialogue, I think, written for actors. But that same kind of, like, uh, energy, that, like, very hateful (laughs) energy throughout the movie that is just so fun to watch. You love to watch these people just rip each other apart. How interesting that in both of the instances you just mentioned, the actress wins, but the actor doesn't. Um, well, also, as everyone knows, you and I are just suckers for a strong female performance. So I think it's no wonder that The Lion in Winter is our favorite movie of this year. <laughs> it kind of makes oh, perfect sense. It doesn't God. get much better than this. And it, yeah, it doesn't. It, <laughs> I think everybody, if you haven't seen The Lion in Winter and you just want to see two people go toe to toe and... I mean, I love how conniving and intelligent Catherine Hepburn is throughout the whole movie, and mm-hmm. also how vulnerable she is, and how the strength is this, you know, something I noticed in this movie while I was watching it is this is the first film, uh, or the earliest film, I should say, with Catherine Hepburn, where there's a few times I start to notice her tremor. Yes. You know. Yep, um, the shakes. The shakes. Which, by the, you know, whenever we discuss her again with On Golden Pond, by that point, you know, she's, uh, her tremor's extremely obvious. Um, but um, at this point, you know, she's, you know, pretty steady. But there's there's a few mo- moments where you can see that tremor start to start to show itself. And it works so well, even though it's, mm-hmm. you know, barely perceptible because it's so slight, because it gives away the vulnerability underneath the show of strength that this, uh, you know, Eleanor of Aquitaine is um, attempting to to put off, you know? Definitely. Um, and, and, you know, whenever I love the moment where she's looking at herself in the mirror... 
Mm. Um, mm. And it's then so cinematic. It's just wonderful. Oh, and the shot of her in the mirror is so... Uh, it's so good. It's it so is gorgeous. such a great movie. So then tell me, Rance, why, why, oh, why did Oliver win? Give me your best reasoning as to why Oliver triumphed over any of these other movies. Well, you know, it was a huge box office hit. It sure does. Um, it is a very... It, it probably pleases the largest number of people, audience-wise. Um, you know, it is something that kind of... You know, that something-for-everybody type of movie. Um, it is uh, British, and, you know, the Academy loves to um, elevate... Uh, Hollywood loves to elevate its importance by tying itself to the rich acting history of the Brits, yeah. uh, rich uh, pre- performance history, uh, arts history of the of England, um, and I think that um, I think it's also kind of a weird year. You know, last year had what I would say are more obviously great movies. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah, and and so it's it's more of it's an easier year to analyze in a way because the films are so so good. Um, you know, of these five nominees, I think you know most people would probably pick The Lion in Winter as the best of the five objectively, but um, but it's it's not necessarily like an obviously great movie in the way that. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde or The Graduate is, you know? Right. Um, I think that part of the reason why Oliver wins is, you know, Sands having a nomination for 2001 A Space Odyssey, there's nothing else in this category that just screams Best Picture winner, you know? Totally. And I think so the yeah. audience-friendly one wins out. Yeah, I think you're onto something. I feel like in 1967, they actually did nominate probably the the best five movies of the year a lot of them very progressive as we talked about and then you know you sometimes when you see such a shift toward the progressive side of things usually the next year you might get something a bit more reserved conservative end of the spectrum so you're seeing i think you know a crop of five movies in 1968 that do not represent the best five of the year you know i think you can swap out a lot of these films have put in 2001 A Space Odyssey, Rosemary's Baby, I mean, hell, even The Producers, you know, are probably three movies that people still watch today, Yeah, you know, and I think had yeah. those two been in the field with Line in Winter, um, I'm trying to choose between Funny Girl and Oliver, and probably Funny Girl is the more talked about one still today, then you might have a, a, a harder decision. But with these nominees, you know, I think you can kind of cross a bunch off the list right away. And you're right. Oliver reigns supreme because it's just the more accessible movie to the wider variety of voters. You know, I just saw something. I was I just scanning through movies that were nominated for other categories. Um, another movie that only seems to have gotten um, two nominations here. Um, is uh, Bullet, which I don't know if anybody's seen, but it's it's a great influential, um, you know, uh, like uh, crime movie 
um, that's super suspenseful and wonderful um, and cutting edge. So yeah, there's a lot. What's interesting about this category is there's nothing that edgy about it. You know, definitely, it is on the safer side. Maybe absolutely, it is. Uh, yeah, Rachel, Rachel, um, which I haven't seen, but just from what I know of Rachel, Rachel is probably the edgiest movie that's nominated here. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, you know, these are, you know, uh, certainly more uh, free and adult than movies were a couple of years before because of the lack of restrictions that are now officially, as of this year. <laughs> no longer implemented in, you know, I, in case we didn't mention this, the MPAA is now the standard bearer and we are no longer under the production code. Yay. Yes. Yay. Um, And next year we're really, really going to get into that because of what wins next year. But um, yeah, this is, I think I like your, I like your assessment here. I think that this is a response to the, um, we, we, you know, take two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. I think here we have a year where the Academy just chooses to play it a little bit safer. Because as he mentioned, we are about to get into <laughs> next year, 1969, the first and only movie to win Best Picture with an X rating. The raunchiest rating you can get. So we're going to be talking about Midnight Cowboy. Rance, have you seen Midnight Cowboy? Um, I have not. Have you? I have. I I definitely. Oh. I've seen it a lot of times, actually. Quite a few times. Actually, this is one of the movies that I actually own. Oh, so this oh. is this is something that that somebody's a fan of. Yes, I am a fan. I'm really excited to hear your take on it, though. I think you're gonna like it. I think I don't want to sway you too much, but I think you'll like it. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, we'll see you guys. We'll be with you guys next week as we talk about 1969 and Midnight Cowboy. Oh, Papa, oh, Papa, that's how it goes. Oh, Papa, oh, Papa, everyone knows. What is the cause of his red, shiny nose?